Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Sons of UCF podcast, your place for UCF sports talk year-round. Now, here is Adam and Mike. Hey there, welcome back into the 132nd episode of the Sons of UCF podcast. My name is Adam, and as always, my friend and yours, Mr. UCF Mike, back and better than ever for another week. Mike, greetings, friend. How are you? I am charged up. And ready to charge on for another episode, baby. Wow. Okay. I wasn't expecting this energy off the top, but I can't. Uh, I can't blame you. And why you're going to bring this energy today, Mike? We uh, action-packed show is always. Listen, there's not a ton going on in UCF sports world. A couple of teams still playing. We'll get into all that. We'll get the headlines figured out. Baseball, softball, what's happening there? Yard sale, Mike. A good old yard sale took place. We'll talk through that. Basketball, some changes, some turnover there. You know what that looks like. Uh, our big three this week is a, uh, maybe the most hotly debated big three we've had to date. I think this one's going to cause some uh, some some reaction from fans, so we'll get into that. And another Sons of UCF throwback interview, one of the very first interviews, a, uh, a pioneer, an early legend uh, for UCF, Mr. Sia Burley, uh, circa episode number 23, is going to be uh, replayed tonight. If you don't know who Sia Burley is, um, do some Googling, kids. He was one of the best to ever do at UCF. Uh, back in the uh, the late 90s, uh, him and Dante were a fantastic combo. Um, really good to have Sia uh, on the show back then and really good to bring it back to you now. Sia was awesome. When we got him on the show, that's when I knew we really had something. Because Our first one was Godfrey, which was really cool, and then we had Wyatt Miller. But this was an old-school guy, a guy that played when we were there, and it just showed that we can start spanning the, the all different generations of UCF time, and I really enjoyed talking to him. Yeah, that was our wheelhouse too. He was uh, he was the stud receiver when we were at uh, at school there. So that was that was right in our wheelhouse. So cool to catch up with him. But uh, uh, a lot of things to, to t- uh, cover tonight. A few things you need to do for us first. If you're not following us on all that social media stuff, find us at Sons of UCF and all that stuff, including YouTube. Uh, you can follow Mike at Twitter on Twitter at UCF Mike One. Make sure you check out our new website that we have not updated in like two weeks, but I swear one of these days we will. Uh, and that's twonightsmedia.com. All of our show content, uh, the live show, all that stuff will be available for you there at twonightsmedia.com. Don't forget about the live show Thursdays on social media. And if you're listening to the podcast, give us a little rating, a little review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, do what you got to do. Uh, we always like a good rating, a good review. You guys are really good to us, and hopefully we repay you by giving you quality content like this here episode, Mike. But let's just jump right into it. Uh, we'll do some headlines here. We'll do them a little differently, though, 
Um, Charge On, Charge Off was a game that we invented, I don't know, like six weeks ago. Uh, we haven't used it in a while. So we'll do headlines, Charge On, Charge Off style. Mike, I'll give you a headline, uh, sort of a topic. You tell me if you want to charge on, charge off, and we'll move on from there. Does that, uh, does that sound good for you, my friend? Sounds like a good time. Let's do it. Well, let's start with this right here. We'll start with the baseball team, Mike. Uh, on the live show this week, we had said the baseball team needed to sweep Wichita State, um, but if not, they at least need to win the series. I think we were hoping for a sweep. We were selling for a win the series, Mike. Neither of those two things happened. So, Mike, here is the charge on, charge off. The 2021 UCF baseball season is pretty much over right now, today on May 10th. You charge on or you charge off of that? Well, every all signs are pointing to charge on to agree with that. We, we are not going to make the big tournament. We're not hosting any regionals, anything like that. The only way I'm going to hold off on it, because baseball, just like basketball, we still control our own destiny, and there's still hope. We're, we're going to be in the conference tournament. If we win that, then we're still alive. But that's our only way to extend this baseball season, the way things have gone so far. So I, I, can, I, I can't just sit on the fence. Huh? So I'm going to have to charge off just because there's still life until we're officially eliminated. Wow. An optimistic Mike is not a, a Mike that I'm used to talking to, especially when it comes to the baseball program, because you've you've said a few times throughout the year, your hands were up in the air. You had the white flag ready to wave and you were calling this thing over. Uh, they lost three or four uh, at home against Wichita, drops them to 23 and 25 on the year. They're now in fifth place in the conference. Only eight teams participating this year, so they are fifth of eight. And coming up, Mike, there at Tulane, who is currently the uh, uh, the second team in the standings of the American Conference. They are twenty five and seventeen overall, fourteen and five in conference. So you're telling me that for the rest of the regular season, it doesn't matter to you. Just stay healthy. You know, keep playing hard, keep fighting hard, and you're going to put your eggs into the tournament basket. And that's the only hope we have because we're not getting in as an at large. It's the only hope we have is to have a very good week in the conference tournament. Now we're doing it. We're going to have to do it without our number one pitcher. And <laughs> obviously it's not going to be easy. And this team has not shown anything to say that they are going to get hot and do that that week. But at least it'll make it worth watching. And uh, like I said, anything can happen. Baseball is a funny sport where the best team does not always win. It's not like basketball where usually you have the best guy on the court. Nine times out of ten, you, you win the game. Baseball, funny things happen. Balls bounce certain ways. Uh, you get a bad call here or there, and any team could beat anybody else. Is uh, is the American tournament? Do you know? I'm gonna I'm pulling a UCF mic on you. Uh, is the American tournament? Is it double elimination or single elimination? Do you know? Who? <laughs> <laughs> I can pretend like I know. Okay, but I don't. All right. It may be one of those. Yeah. It's obviously uh, one of those. Robin. Yeah. It's obviously one of those. I would say it's single elimination. Yeah, I think. If I had to guess. I, I think uh, I'm going to charge on with that. I think I think at this point the season's ostensibly over. I mean, here's the problem. The inconsistency. These are the, these are the scores from the weekend against Wichita State. We win the first one 6-3. We drop the next two 11-1 and 10-3. And then we lose the last one 7-6. It's just been an inconsistent uh, all year long. We've had some great games, and we just seem to get like run-rolled in a bunch of games this year. It's college players. It's college pitching. The umpiring hasn't been fantastic. It's a pandemic year. Obviously, we lost our best player and at least our best pitcher, uh, our best rotation pitcher. So it, it's, there's just been a lot of inconsistency, Mike. But And I don't I don't see all that just changing in us getting hot at that, at that time. Yeah, maybe we win a game. 
maybe we string together two, but do we do enough to to get out of the tournament? Uh, that that seems kind of hard to me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna charge on that. The 2021 baseball season has is going to come to an end, and maybe Mike, does the Greg Lovelady watch come to a start? What do you think about that? Oof. Uh, well, we're gonna find out about Mohajer. Mohajer, he obviously hired Malzahn as soon as we got here because he had to. We had no coach. Other than that, he hasn't had to make any other hires. I don't know if he's in a rush to do that. If he wants to put his footprint on this baseball team, if that's where he starts, uh, I'm not sure. I, I think Lovelady's got another year left in him. Last year was our best season, and it got cut short. That's what makes this season so disappointing was we kind of had some high hopes with some of these guys coming back. It looked like we had a pretty decent lineup coming back, and it just hasn't worked out. So I'm not ready to give up on Lovelady yet. I know a lot of people are. I think – He's got another year left. I don't know what his contract situation is like either. That's got to play a big role, especially with the, the athletic budget. You can't just be firing baseball coaches when you owe them whatever amount of money. So that's got to play a factor in it too. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That The contract will, will dictate a lot of it. Plus, I think I think the majority of, of colleges around the country save for some crazy ones that, that make just a ridiculous ton of money like an Auburn that can just buy out Malzahn and just pay him $21 million to go away. Um, I think a lot of people are just getting a pass in COVID years, and, and, and maybe that's deserved, Mike. I mean, obviously, these are circumstances that no one really planned for. Um, so I, I think if, if the contract works itself out where it's not going to be um, disadvantageous uh, you know, for UCF, I think Lovelady gets a chance. But if his contract's up and they have a chance to, to kind of fish around, maybe they, maybe they go do that um, if the money's right. But, uh, but certainly a, a, a disappointing weekend for, for UCF baseball. And if you're Mike, you're hinging your hopes on the, uh, on the conference tournament. One, uh, one sport that does not necessarily need to hinge their hopes on the conference tournament, Mike, is the softball team. Softball won three of four against the Cows this weekend. It's always good to uh, to win against the Cows, knocking the Cows out of the opportunity to perhaps win the uh, the regular season title overall. Um, according to our good friend, Mr. Eric Lopez, the, uh, the softball Knights here are most likely going to be in the NCAA tournament. So they are going to get into the tournament, Mike, regardless of what happens. Again, that's most likely nothing is final until it's final. But, Mike, the softball team needs to win their region in order to make this a successful season. Charge on or charge off? Uh, yeah, you know what? Let's say charge on. This is a very good team, and they've proven it by beating top teams in the country. We beat the number one team in the country. We beat the Gators a couple times. We had some big wins. We beat South Florida was a good team, and we just beat them up three out of four. We're in a decent conference, and we played some good softball. We got a couple really good pitchers, and the lineup has been pretty solid. Uh, this team can do some damage, and I, I would love to see them win a regional. Man, that would be a huge step forward for this program. Coach Ball Malone has done a great job, and that's the next step. We got to start taking these next steps. It's nice to have nice regular seasons. But we got to do something in the playoffs, and, and I think this team is ready to do something like that. Well, they haven't been in the tournament, I think, in like since like 2016, maybe if I have that right. So it, it's been a minute since they've they've been in. Uh, but you're right; I think we've seen this team play at its top level, and when they've done that, you know, they've been competitive, if not outright won games um, against these teams. So you know that they can they can hang. 
Um, you know they have the talent. You know that they, they have the sort of the, the fight, if you will. There's been plenty of, of games where it looks like maybe they were out of it and they find a way to call, uh, call back into it. So you know they have all those intangibles. So you would think that if there's any year poised for UCF to maybe make a run, this would be the year. Now, what's tricky about this question is I don't know who's in the regional. I think the prevailing theory, according to, to Elo, is they'll be playing up in Gainesville, which means the Gators will be lurking around again. You know, we've, we beat them before, so I'm not sure that we would be too terribly afraid to, to match up against them another time. But just like baseball, I mean, the, the, the pitching obviously will control a lot of what happens. Um, so it's really tough to say that like a season is a disappointment if you don't get to a certain level. But I do think that there is a good mixture of this team that if, if they, you know, they go one and out and or they're not able to you know even win a game, uh, that it would be disappointing. So I, I do think to get out of the regional would be the goal at this point right now. Uh, maybe that's too lofty, Mike. Maybe we're setting too high of an expectation. But lest we forget, 37-16-1 on the year. They are the three seed in the tournament. They're going to play uh, ECU on the 13th, uh, and the winner will play the Cows uh, or Memphis winner. Um, so they've, they've had a good year. I'm, I'm going to agree with you. Charge on. I'm going to need I'm going to need them to win the regional. Yeah, it's going to be – it's going to come down to which region that we get placed in and what are the other teams in there. Now, if we get placed with the Gators, we already know we can go into that those games with some high confidence, having beat them a couple of times. So that's going to be the next thing. After this conference tournament is over, where do we get sent? That's going to be a big deal. Yeah, again, Elo is projecting Gainesville. I mean, there's nobody more plugged into college softball than Elo, so I'll take his word for it, but I don't think anybody knows yet. I think it's the... Uh, this upcoming weekend uh, is when they announce the seeds. So still plenty of uh, softball to be played, but uh, um, I think we both agree. Let's let's win the regional uh, softball team. Do us, do us a favor. Let's uh, let's win that region. Next up, Mike. Uh, over the weekend, uh, news broke that Brandon Mahan of the men's basketball program, a, a starter last year, he was out for a period of time, but uh, had some some big games and had some big moments last year for uh, for the basketball team. That he uh, he's announcing that he is intending to transfer. Uh, so Brendan Mahan, who transferred to UCF from Texas A&M, uh, will now be essentially transferring out of UCF. I think to take his final COVID year of eligibility, Mike. So Brendan Mahan leaving UCF is a really big deal. Charge on or charge off? I don't say charge on because we haven't been able to build any continuity with this basketball team. It seems in the last few years. Guys have been coming and going. You got guys entering the NBA draft all the time, even though those guys all come back. But still, we haven't had that same core team together for three, four years. Really since uh, the B.J. Taylor and Aubrey Dawkins and Chad Brown guys, even those guys were hurt all the time. So you never really got to see them all together at the same time. So I think that's been one of the big problems with the basketball team is we haven't had that core stick around together. And now Mayhan's here one day, and now he's gone the next. Uh, he was a good player. He wasn't uh, great, but he, he was he was good. He he had some moments where he looked like he could uh, be the guy on the team. But you know, uh, I, I think it's a big loss. I, I think we we did just pick up another transfer though, right? We, we got somebody else coming in. Well, we do. Um, yep. So it, it's just uh, for continuity's sake. I think it's a lot a big loss. Oh yeah, here, here's where we are. So just to orient everybody, so um, uh, um, Mayhan and then Darius Perry both had the potential for taking their extra year of COVID eligibility. Um, I don't think we've officially heard from Darius Perry. Although rumors are that he's going to opt in um, and take his eligibility. So if you if you do the math, here's where UCF stands. Here's a look, an early look at their roster. They have Darius Perry, 
Tony Johnson, who played all of a, of a half before getting injured mysteriously in a layup line, which is fantastic. We have Darius Johnson, who's a big-time point guard coming in. At the guard spot, we have Darren Green Jr., who great shooter but probably regressed a little bit from his great freshman year. We have Dre Fuller, great athlete, um, pretty good defender when he wants to be. We have Isaiah Adams, and we'll mark this one for a moment because he did put his name into the NBA draft, although most people suspect this is just a uh, an, an information-gathering opportunity. He has until July 19th as of right now to pull his name out of the draft, so Isaiah Adams, assuming he's coming back. And then two uh, two newcomers, P.J. Edwards, and I have no idea how to pronounce this guy's first name. It's spelled T-Y-E-M. I'm going to call him Tim Freeman. Um, <laughs> then we have Taim. Big yeah, maybe. We have Big C.J. Walker, again, another guy who put his name in July 19th is his date. Jamil Reynolds, who we saw um, make some strides last year. Sean Mobley, get out of my life. And then a new guy, uh, Xavier Rhodes, coming in as well. With, uh, I think if the math is right that I read, I think we have the ability for at least maybe two more roster spots. We're in the mix for a transfer out of UNLV, and his name I will not try to pronounce. I believe it's a Deong, uh, um is his last name. So um, here's the thing. If you get you get rid of Mayhan, which it's going to happen, I actually don't know that it's a terrible thing because what it's going to do is going to open more shots for Isaiah Adams. It's going to open more shots maybe for Darren Green Jr. We're going to see if either of these two Johnson guys, Tony Johnson, who we, we liked a lot as freshman year but didn't play at all, or Darius Johnson, the newcomer, um, can, can play. We know Darius Perry has never met a shot he didn't like. Um, CJ Walker's got to improve his offensive game. So there was kind of a gluttony of guys who all wanted shots. And, um, and listen, the future of this team is going to be, uh, hopefully, Isaiah Adams, CJ Walker. So if we can figure – and Tony Johnson and maybe Darius Johnson. If we can figure out ways to get these guys shots in the, in the ball, um, I'm, I'm okay with that. Your point, Mahan had a really good game against Florida State, and then he had a tendency to disappear at times. He wasn't the best ball handler, so he wasn't somebody that you could really trust to bring the ball up and to defeat the press. So as much as it hurts losing leadership and losing veteran presence, this was going to be a young team anyway based on the guys that just ran, ran off, except for maybe Darius Perry and Sean Mobley. So w- with that being said, Mike, let's just go young and and, and wish Brandon Mayhan well. I, I have nothing personally against the guy. I think he was a, a good representative of UCF, but I think ultimately I don't know that this move kills us that much. So I want to charge off that. I don't think it's that devastating for him not to be in the team mixture. All right. And this is a guy now going to his third stop in college. I always wonder about guys like that. They, they – they're transferring two, three times, and is it? It's not playing time. He was getting playing time here. Is that he feels that he wasn't used in the right way, or he just feels that this other school is a better fit, or does he have some other personal things, or he wants? Where is he transferring to? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's been announced yet. I think it's actually his fourth school. Let me look that up quickly. I think he was at some school prior to um, Texas A and M. Let me let me fact check that. But I don't think that he's uh, he's officially. Um, um, Announced. I don't even know if he's officially in the portal. I know that he he just said he was going to be in the portal. I think um, I think Brandon was reporting. Uh, Brandon Helwig was reporting as of yesterday. He wasn't in there. Uh, he went to some place called Chipola Junior College, then Texas A and M, then UCF, and now um, obviously TBD. So um, I mean, you can look at all the theories you want. Some people said that you know maybe he just wanted a chance to to get some solid playing time. Maybe he thought he'd get squeezed out by these young guys. Um, you know, maybe he realized his playing time was, was going to be in jeopardy this year. And so he just figured, let me go someplace where I know I can get some minutes. Um, you know, maybe he thought Darius Perry wasn't, wasn't, wasn't coming back and maybe he's coming back now. And so he's like, I don't want to do that. Um, you know, maybe he wants to get close to home. Who, who knows? But that's just college basketball. We lost every digs to every digs. I think he went to t- Tennessee Chattanooga. Now this is just college basketball guys. People just move around. Um, and at, that's what the one-time transfer will now for him. He gets a free COVID year. So. He gets a kind of an exemption there, but um, 
I don't know. And I guess it's always possible. He pulls his name back out of the hat. Maybe he likes what he sees at UCF overall. Maybe Dawkins can pull his magic. I don't know, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be devastating for us. Well, he definitely has commitment issues, I think. So <laughs> <laughs> if you're a woman out there and you're getting a relationship with Brandon Mayhem, yeah, tread lightly. All right. Dating advice with UCF, Mike. All right. Um, next up, Mike, this one wasn't on our sheet here, but I, I saw it pop up on Twitter again today, so I'll just throw it out at you, um, and I'll let you decide off the top of your head how you want to handle this one. Rumors continue to swirl, Mike. It's been reported earlier in the year, and, and some Yahoo kind of re-reported it, although I don't know how accurate it is. But, Mike, Boise State potentially joining the American Conference is the right thing for the American Conference. Do you charge on or charge off with that? Boise State, uh, I would like to see Boise State in our conference. I think it strengthens the football conference. Um, I think it weakens the Mountain West, obviously. So when you talk about college football the way it is now, and we talk about uh, a G5 team ever getting a chance to get in the playoff, I think it would strengthen our conference and make us more comparable to the Big 12 and the Pac-12. When you look at it that way, the big question mark is – is it for football only? Are these are they coming over for the other sports? Are they coming over alone? Are they bringing in other schools with them? There's a lot more to it. But I, I would like to add Boise State. we got a, a series coming up with them now starting this season. We play them once, and then we're going to travel to Idaho. And it's a series that a lot of fans are looking forward to on both sides. I think it will be a fun series. So I, I don't see anything really bad about it. But you got to tell me the whole deal. What other schools are coming and what are we doing about the other sports and that whole deal? Yeah, again, obviously this is reporting that some people are saying Boise State was doing some due diligence, had had conversations. I think one of the reports I read today said it would just be a football-only deal, uh, that they would bring um, at least two other schools with them. I saw San Diego State is bandied about as one. Um, I think the third one is kind of up, up, for, up for grabs. I think some people were talking BYU. I'm not sure if that makes any sense. Um, so essentially they would try to bring two schools with them. Um, so this is interesting for me. I will do a short term, long term. In the short term, charge on. If we, you know, we add Boise next year for some reason that quickly, and we add a San Diego State, and those are interesting road trips, right? If if night fans want to get out to the West Coast, those are some cool road trip opportunities. Um, you know, strengthens the conference a little bit more. You know, to your point, it depletes. Uh, you know, the the Mountain West, which is probably the, the I guess the biggest um, contender year over year for UCF and and or, or the American Conference in general, and getting that New Year Six bid. Um, but I wouldn't want to do that at the, at the expense of not getting the chance to go to a quote unquote power five conference and, or I would need to understand more about whether or not this, this bandied about playoff expansion would take place. So I would charge on for a couple of years. If that's kind of the stop gap between sort of the next for UCF, if that means expanded playoffs, or if that means, you know, conference expansion and, and, and conference realignment, but I, I don't want to take Boise at the, at the expense of jeopardizing either of those two things. So I'm on the fence, I guess. I'm going to do a, a mic here. I'm going to charge on, charge off, depending on if you're talking short-term or long-term. There's a, there's probably a lot of unknowns that would, would need to be answered before I could give you a definitive answer on this one. Yeah, I don't know if them joining is going to stop us from leaving if given the opportunity. I think we'd still take off anyway. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what they did with divisions or if they went to like a pod system. I don't think we'd be traveling to Boise every other year. I think he's you stick them out there if they're coming over with teams like San Diego State or UNLV or Colorado State, something like that. They make their own pod over there, and then maybe we get a southern pod with us and 
the cows and who, who else we close memphis you know make a southern pod a northeast pod and kind of spread it out that way but they don't fit what the rest of the teams in the american we were they're all pretty big cities right metropolitan cities <laughs> tulsa boise idaho <laughs> tulsa <laughs> yeah but the, the majority of other I mean, pretty much every other team in this conference is in a big market, right? You got Philadelphia, you got Orlando, you got Tampa, you got New Orleans. I mean, every other team is in a, you're right about Tulsa. <laughs> We're talking I about mean, Greenville or no? Charlotte? Yeah, that's another one, but I don't think that's – oh, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I, okay. The majority Either way, two is not bad. Conference yeah, fair, are, are fair big, point. big markets. But – um. Uh, Boise as a brand name, and Boise brings some cachet with them, especially on the football side. So I think it could definitely help us. At least you're right for the, for the first couple of years. Well, I think the the other kicker would have to be: what does this do with the TV contract? Does it, does this mean we have to reopen the TV contract when you add in, you know, one, two, three more schools? Obviously, now you're you're splitting more revenue. Do we go back to our TV partners and say, hey, now we're doing this? And if that's the case, and they reopen a contract, you know, it. There, there has been language in other contracts. I think UCF was was part of this conversation earlier, where there, there's you know additional exit fees if UCF's not in the in the conference, or are there going to be like poison pill penalties in those contracts? I think that could be a, a sticky one. I'm not a television contract expert, but if they have to open up the contracts, you know, as long as we don't get something slid in the contract that makes it um, either financially disadvantageous for us to leave or, or causes such a great penalty that we can't leave and then we miss that window, I think that's just the thing you have to vet out. Um, again, all this always seems fun, right? Every year there's this con, this conference stuff. This team's going here. This team's going there. Um, off the top of my head, like, when's the last time we had a conference move, like a, a, a team leave a conference? I can't even uh, – that what, was the Big Ten stuff when, when Rutgers and Maryland went to the Big Ten? When Was that the last time we had a, a, a conference movement like that? I mean, I guess maybe some we of the – We had the SEC uh, grabbed uh, Missouri and yeah. Texas A&M, right? I guess maybe with some of the smaller conferences probably could change team. Maybe the conference USA added somebody and you and I were sleeping on it. Who knows? But um, I think it's just more complex. So I think short term, sure. If you want to say, hey, Boise is coming in for a couple of years um, and, and nothing has to change and it doesn't doesn't block or ruin anything, then I'm, then I'm all in. Yeah, let's play more teams. Let's play better teams. Let's strengthen the conference. Let's get some cool road games on the calendar. But um, Boise and because I think this is where the American and UCF, are they aligned in their goals, right? The American wants to strengthen the American conference so that they can become the quote-unquote power six that they say that they are. They can get automatic bids, all this other stuff. While UCF would certainly probably take that, UCF is also looking out for UCF's interest. So are those two things aligned? And I guess you'd have to, I'd have to know that they were, that they're both could be accomplished and ultimately my bias being towards UCF getting the, the thing that they want out of the deal. Well, if things go the way they look like they're going and the playoff does get expanded to eight or 12 teams, and we are clearly the best uh, conference outside the top five, we're number six. I think they're going to have to find a spot for us. And if that's a guarantee that the, the American champion gets a spot in the playoff, we may be best off just staying in the American. And you know we're going to be contending for the top spot every year. We're going to be a legitimate playoff team every single year. That might work out to benefit us the most. And you said that you're not a TV contract guy, but guess who is? Mike Oresco. Allegedly. Bread and butter coming in. <laughs> Allegedly. When he took over this conference, that was supposed to be his thing, is getting that TV deal. Maybe he can work some kind of magic and get something going here. 
All right, last thing, speaking of magic, Mike, apparently uh, you and I both weren't there. So um, it was a magical Saturday at the Bounce House when UCF opened up the concourse there and commenced their, I don't know if it's second or third annual yard sale, where jerseys, helmets, cleats, shirts, pants, socks, hopefully not jock straps, and everything in between were on sale for uh, for folks. They were staggered start times. People went in and uh, got to make some purchases, Mike, and you saw some pretty cool stuff floating around Twitter. Um, helmets, jerseys, all that stuff. Mike, so here's the question. Charge on, charge off. You are upset that you did not go to the yard sale. Charge on, charge off. Uh, charge off. I'm not upset that I didn't get to go. <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't have gone even if I lived in that area. It's just not my thing. I mean, I'm not spending $600 on a helmet. I, we've gone over this already before. The jerseys, some of the jerseys are cool, and the prices are actually not bad on them. It's just, I don't know. that. I don't think they'd fit great, right? They're, they're kind of tailored for wearing pads, and I think they kind of look funny on people when they wear them normally. So what else is there? I mean, I guess you want to get a couple little other things where they sell the, the gloves. I, I don't, When am I going to wear receiver's gloves? I don't know. It's just a cool <laughs> thing to have, I guess. <laughs> you take a picture with it. Sure. What else? What, what were some of the other cool things that people were coming out of there with? I mean, you saw some shirts, hat. I guess they had a bunch of cleats and shoes that were like five bucks, uh, some barely worn type stuff. Um, you know, you saw, you know, some baseball shirts. I saw some, some pants, some sweaters, some, um, you know, apparel, I guess, as you would say it. I don't know if people buy the jerseys though to wear. I mean, I guess that's a great question. Do people, were people buying those to wear to kind of like hang and hang up in their, in their man cave or in their garage or in their basement or wherever they have that stuff. Right. I don't, I guess I, I, I would have considered if I went there to buy a Jersey, I would have, I would not have worn it. I probably would have framed it and hung it. Do you think people were buying those jerseys to actually wear them? Not some people, but I, you're right. Some people are probably buying them and seeing if they can get them autographed. Yes. Like I believe Gabe Davis was having a, a function that night. Some people probably went out there, bought a Gabe Davis jersey, and then went out to see if you can sign it for him later. And then something like that, you hang up and you frame it. Um, but I'm sure there's a bunch of people that buy them and wear them. We've met a guy at, in Boca that came over and visited us at Hooters <laughs> before the football game. Our, our friend, was his name Andrew Cosma? He buys the entire jersey set. With the yes, he sure <laughs> jersey, did. Jersey, the pants, the helmet, and he puts on the whole uniform when he goes to the games. So there are people out there that will wear it. Uh, <laughs> there, there are people. <laughs> I think I saw a cool story, too, where somebody bought a Jacob Harrison and messaged him. I was like, hey, any chance you could sign this before you leave? And I, I think the guy wrote back that they, they got in contact. They're going to work that out. So that, that part is cool. Does it does it feel at all shady to you, though, that like UCF's obviously making money off these jerseys and you associate number 13 with Gabe Davis or 16 with Jacob Harris? And, and obviously the name, image, likeness stuff is around the corner, but people are spending good money for, for this stuff and, you know, and, and guys who wore it are getting bupkis out of the deal. <laughs> well that's what exactly the reason why we're changing the rules now <laughs> right but it's funny that they have to take the names off the jerseys before they sell them yeah right now i wonder now once the rule changes in place are they gonna have to do that next time they can just leave the names on but then they gotta throw these guys a couple bucks i don't know how that's gonna work out yeah i think you gotta give them a cut well what stops like you know maybe they they can it'll be a true yard sale they set up their own table right you have the dylan gabriel table where he sells the stuff he wants to sell and autographs it for a certain price i mean I guess you, this. I don't know what the rules are. I'm not sure what the, you know, the particulars are. But I guess the sky's the limit on, on that stuff. It, either way, it seemed like a cool. I mean, look, it was packed. According to you know the the pictures and all the videos you saw, it seemed like there was lines going around for for hours and hours. So all in all, I mean, it's a it's a, a unique idea. I don't think UCF's alone in doing this stuff. But 
Uh, everyone kind of seems to love the ability to get inside access. And listen, God love you people who are coming out with two and three helmets, uh, uh, you know, at 1800 bucks or 1200 bucks for the helmets. God love you for, for all that stuff. That's, that's, I'm sure it's a pretty cool uh, decorative house piece um, um, for, for you and your man cave or your dining room table, wherever you put it. Um, but I guess it, all in all cool thing, right? I, I saw there was some talk of Mohajer maybe extending this to an, an online deal. And then I saw there was maybe a hoax around that stuff. So be careful of your Venmo and Terry Mohajer stuff. Um, but if they did it online, I guess they'd probably even get some more revenue out of the deal. And, and I guess that's the name of the game, right? So sell what you can and get some revenue right now. That's right. They didn't sell out all the helmets. They jacked up the price a couple hundred bucks this year. So they had a bunch left over. Why not sell them online? There was a big outcry from people that live out of state that aren't able to get to this thing and they would like to get their hands on a helmet or some other cool items i think they definitely should do that and get as much money as possible remember we didn't play that whole season with fans last year people have rolled over their season tickets that's a whole year of not getting money for season tickets that we have to deal with now by guys like me i paid for my tickets last year and i rolled it over this year so i didn't have to pay anything this year so there's got to be ways to make up that money and this is going to help a little bit, then UCF needs to do it. we got to do whatever we can to make that money. Get that money, friends. That's what UCF is uh, trying to do. Obviously, a lot of people helping out. Um, and either way, cool event. So it um, looks like all in good fun. Mike, those are those are the newsworthy type items. Again, slower week. Tennis team, by the way, looks like they're dominating. Maybe we got national championship titles coming that way. But uh, unfortunately, we are not your home for the UCF tennis breakdown. But what we are your home for is um, uh, rankings and lists that mean nothing that you haven't thought about and you have no reason to ever think about. That's why we're here. We think about it for you. The big three list coming up right after this on the Sons of UCF. Adam, sons of UCF, that'll move those chains. That's good enough for another UCF first down. All right, uh, big three this week. The theme of the big three, foreshadowing the guest that you'll hear right after this segment, is the best quarterback-wide receiver combo in UCF history. The big three quarterback-wide receiver combo. So think Montana and Rice, you know, Aikman and Irvin, Manning and Harrison, names that are synonymous for for their time together. Now, this is a little tricky, Mike. We, you and I haven't covered the ground rules because obviously for some of the, the receivers or, or quarterbacks specifically, um, they played uh, for multiple quarterbacks. So I took my list as, you know, just two individuals, one guy and one guy. If that meant they only had one season together, then so be it. Um, so I did not I did not lump together quarterback, multiple quarterbacks or multiple receivers. Uh, because obviously there were some options there, so that's that's how I did my list. Did you do yours any differently? Did you did you think about this from another perspective? No, it had to be the quarterback with that receiver. Okay. Like uh, there's guys like Mike Walker, yes. who leads in a lot of categories. Poor Stephen Moffat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he had a few different quarterbacks throwing the ball to him, so I couldn't put him on any of these lists. It has to be that combo of quarterbacks or receivers right yeah that 06 season he had 90 catches but Stephen Moffitt had eight touchdowns and 10 interceptions so it just wasn't going to work out to put Moffitt and Mike Sims Walker as one of our top three or big three combos Mike but uh, luckily we each have three here and uh, I'll let you start off so your number three best uh, all-time QB receiver combo is whom Ooh. I mean this was pretty there's so many combinations to go from. And when we're done going over this list, I can give you another list of like six or seven of them that are 
that could be tops at a lot of schools. But this is where we excel. Quarterback and receivers, we have some deadly combinations. Number three for me, Mackenzie Milton and Traquan Smith. They played together for two years, 2016, 2017. They put up 2,024 yards total, 18 touchdowns, 116 receptions between the two guys. Just a deadly combination. They can go deep. They can beat you over the middle. They can beat you so many different ways. And how many big games big that they win together and just two of the greats to ever be here. McKenzie, one of the best quarterbacks to ever do it, and Traquan Smith put up some big-time numbers at a receiver. I did want to share with the audience in advance. You and I do not compare lists, so I don't know what you have. You don't, you don't know what I have. So number three, Mike, I have Mackenzie Milton and Traquan Smith in, in my <laughs> third spot. Every week. It does happen every week. I'm not sure if that's good or bad news. Um, here, more things you didn't add that I'll throw in there. Traquan is number four all time uh, in receptions uh, for his career. Uh, he's number three all time in receiving yards. He's number four all time in receiving TDs. He only played three seasons: 15, 16, 17. He had a pretty decent 15 year. Obviously, that was a year that UCF did uh, did not win a game. Uh, inconsistency at quarterback that year, so he was still adjusting. He went number 80 back then, which was uh, awkward to see. Uh, so Traquan um, definitely had uh, his two best seasons when Mackenzie Milton was throwing him the football. And that 13 in that 2016 year, he had 13 catches in that game against Houston. Always reliable, always dependable. Feel like big games. You knew Traquan down the middle from KZ was going to be in play, uh, and obviously was was a big part of of that 2017 championship run. So this was the close one. The third spot was obviously the spot that that it's open for a lot of competition, a lot of debate. But uh, I think the the multi-year foreshadowing here for me, the multi-year connection between these two is what gave them the number three spot, in my opinion. All right. And they only played together for two years. If they had that extra third year, Milton had a great season in 2018. If Traquan had come back for that year. Who knows the numbers they would have put up. They might have moved up to number one or even number two, but they're stuck here at three because this is a very tough list to crack. Well, who uh, who is number two then, Mike? What do you have for your second uh, QB receiver combo? Number two, Dante Culpepper and our guest tonight, Sia Burley, from 97 to 98. Another uh, duo that only played two years together but were incredible in those two years. 2,248 yards together, 15 touchdowns. Sia Burley had over 1,000 yards in both those seasons, 1106 and 97, 1142 and 98. And the consistency, just the almost exact numbers from 97 to 98, seven touchdowns in 97, eight touchdowns in 98. Another duo that can beat you all kinds of ways. They can go deep. They can hit you with the slant. They can hit you all. That was a dynamic duo. That was our freshman year watching Dante to Sia Burley. It was incredible. You never knew we could score from anywhere on the field with those two. Good, 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 good. So choice, obviously, Sire Burley, our guest on the show tonight, the, uh, um, you know, the inspiration for this list here tonight, Mike. So um, let me unveil my number two, and it is Dante Culpepper, Sire Burley. Uh, I have number two on my <laughs> list, uh, obviously, for a lot of reasons that you mentioned. A couple of things that you uh, you didn't say that I will throw in there. Uh, he holds the UCF record for most receiving yards in a game currently at 266 yards in a game in 1998 against Southwestern Louisiana. And again, he only played two seasons. 
165 catches um, in those two seasons. Obviously, you said the the, the consistency, uh, 15 total touchdowns. Imagine if these two had been able to put together one more season, either either in front or behind uh, of their two years together. Just even one more season um, at the offense, at the way that they were they were humming. I mean, Dante in those two years, he threw for 3,000 yards both years, over 25 touchdowns both years. Uh, he had some prolific receiving cores. Uh, I know that the names probably aren't as memorable as some of the cores that you see today, but um, he had some weapons back in those days. And Sia Burley was just a guy that you, you said earlier there was just electric that that connection. Um, I saw a highlight that they were showing of Sia recently where, you know, he just, he comes out of nowhere to make this diving catch against South Carolina. Um, you know, just a, an all, an all, an all time great uh, connection for UCF, but not the all time great connection, Mike, cause I only have them at number two. That's right. You know, I had another Dante connection on here that I was debating on putting in this top three and it's him to Mark Nonson. Yeah. Yep. And if you look at the numbers, he actually has more receptions more yards and just as many touchdowns as Burley had from Dante. The difference was that was spread out over three years where Burley did it over two. So a little more impactful in that, in those two seasons, Um, Mark Nonson, number two behind Mike Sims Walker in receptions in the D one era. So that is a deadly combination too. And have those, both those guys in 97 and 98, well, what a bunch of weapons Dante had to throw to. Yeah, the seasons where, where the work gets tricky. How many years these guys play together? Because at some point it you know, looks like a longevity award, uh, but then some cases, obviously, you know, some people had one really great season, um, and you know, is that is that better than two? You know, really good seasons. It was really a tricky exercise, but that's what we do here. We do the the tricky exercises for you, Mike. So um, we should really get a sound effect for this. I don't have one still, um, but your number one on the big three of best quarterback receiver duos in UCF football history is all right this can go two ways either we're going to have an exacto here and have the same exact list one two three which has not happened yet since we started doing this or we're going to have two different number ones here and that that can be that's a little crazy too I think maybe we will because I, I went to the way way back machine for my number one combination here from 1991 to 1994 Darren Hinshaw to David Rhodes. I know this is before our time. This is before Division One time. But these guys broke all kinds of records. Uh, Rhodes, all-time school records, 3,618 yards. He broke Sean Beckton's record at the time. 213 receptions, number one all-time for UCF also. He also holds the record for 100-yard games, which is, 100, which is 16, and touchdowns, 29. The next closest, I believe, is 23. These are numbers that have not been broken ever. And Hinshaw was the man to throw it to him. Hinshaw, in his time, threw 82 touchdowns here and 9,000 passing yards, which right now I believe would be good enough for third in UCF history if you you include all time. So that was a deadly combination. One I never got to watch, but just going by the numbers, man, I don't think it can be debated. This was the, the biggest combo we had. And they got to play together for four years. That's the other thing. Whereas the first two, number two and number three, only had two years together. These guys were together. They grew up together. Hinshaw took over as a freshman as a quarterback and got to play his whole time. And Rhodes was the record setter out there at receiver for him. That's, a, that's an inspired choice, Mike. You went to, you hit to the way back button there. Uh, that's an inspired choice. Uh, not a lot to argue about that particular choice. 
Um, and so I'm not going to try because I had Darren Henshaw and David Rhodes as my number one all-time <laughs> oh, combo. The only thing you left out there was that uh, Henshaw had six touchdown passes in 93 against Liberty. Uh, that's the only uh, the only thing you left out there. Obviously, Rhodes, is has, his name is littered all over the UCF record books, particularly the receiving side. Um, and that's back in the days. Again, this is – people forget, but this was the Mike Kruzek offensive coordinator era as well. Obviously, most people know him as the head coach. He was the OC for – uh, a number of years prior to him getting ascended to the head coach spot. So he may have played a role, obviously, in, in the inspiration for that. As we know, Kruzek likes to throw the ball around. Not a lot of highlights of the Hinshaw Rhodes era. So for many of you listening who uh, who never heard of these two guys, uh, this is probably blasphemous that you didn't hear names like Gabe Davis or uh, you didn't hear names like Ryan Schneider. You didn't hear a name like Dylan Gabriel. Um, you know, you, you, Mike Sims, Walker, Brandon Marshall, these are probably names that you were expecting to hear there, but do some research friends, Darren Hinshaw, David Rhodes. I'd love to have seen a couple of highlights from those guys because their numbers are just off the charts, particularly in an era back then. Like when people weren't throwing the ball around that much, I and mean, this was, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust type of football. And, uh, to have these two guys, um, still hold records to this day. Now I will say obviously with McKenzie, with Dylan Gabriel, with what receivers are doing. You know, we'll see how long these last. I think the Rhodes uh, records are going to last for a while because you're going to need a receiver to come in and basically as a freshman and make an impact. And with how many skilled guys we have throwing the ball around to this one, this one may stand for a while, uh, especially the receiver stuff. Hinshaw is probably going to get, um, get you know, you know, continue to move down the list with more and more quarterback stuff. But uh, David Rhodes, I think his records will stand for a while. That's right, because if a guy does come in and make an impact like that as a freshman, it, chances are he's gone after three years anyway. He's not sticking around for that fourth year at the receiver position. So his record may be safe for a while. I thought you were going to zig when I zagged there and go with Schneider. To either, well, it's tough because he had Doug Gabriel and Jimmy Frizzell. Mm-hmm. There was a few other ones that had a, a couple receivers. You got Bortles to Wharton and Perriman. You had Dylan Gabriel to Marlon Williams, Gabe Davis. That was a big one. And this list, I mean – I guess it's a it's a different list for a different time if you wanted to do wide receiver duos together because that, that would be a fun one. Like I just the ones I just mentioned, you also got to go back to the Sean's, Sean Jefferson and Sean Beckton. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'd be a tough one to come up with three four. Yeah, what's interesting about it was again the year. A couple of my honorable mentions, uh, I had uh, Dylan Gabriel Gabe Davis 2019. Uh, that one season alone, I mean, Gabe had a fantastic year in, in 2019 from Dylan, 17, 72 catches, 1,241 yards, uh, 12 touchdowns. Uh, he had a great 18-year with McKenzie, but again, it, was, it wasn't a, a combo duo. Uh, I looked at Schneider and Gabriel. Gabriel's numbers in 02 were pretty similar to um, to, to uh, Gabriel Davis's numbers in 19. He had 75, 12, 37, and 11, so right there on par, so... That was another season they looked at. Darren Hinshaw had a fantastic year, or not? Uh, sorry, Tyson Hinshaw had a fantastic year um, with Schneider uh, in the uh, in the early two thousands. Um, and then obviously you mentioned Sean Becton. The challenge with some of these guys is they they had uh, revolving door quarterbacks, which made it hard to kind of pin down who sort of that 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 combo was. But uh, uh, definitely a lot of options out there. Um, but I, I I don't know. I think we got the I think we got the right three. I'm sure other people will you know disagree. I think we got the right three. I think so too. I think. Costag advisor is going to let us know that we did it right this time and included the guys from the old school, David Rhodes. That's not a name. A lot of UCF fans are probably that familiar with, especially the newer UCF fans, but <laughs> go back in the history books, man. The guy has every receiving record. He, he went on to play in the NFL. I believe the Cincinnati Bengals drafted him. Um, this school has a long history of receivers and quarterbacks and this combos. And 
we've been blessed to see a few of them in person. And it, it's going to continue again this year. Is it going to be Dylan Gabriel to Jalen Robinson? Or is it going to be Dylan Gabriel to one of these new receivers we got coming in? Who knows? Ryan O'Keefe, is he going to bust out this year and they're going to have a crazy year? Um, the future is so bright with this program. And we've always been uh, a passing school. Even through the O'Leary times, if you want to factor in the Bortle years, we, we put up some good passing numbers too. So it's been fun, and I'm excited for the future. David Rhodes, also a um, uh, UCF Hall of Famer, by the way. Um, it, yeah, that was interesting. Like, I, I was looking at this list, and I was like, okay, there's got to be a spot for, for Bortles here. But I, I couldn't – again, I think where he he's the victim of having a lot of great receivers and spreading the ball around a little bit. But, you know, I guess Bortles to Wharton, but how much of that is just because you think about the – you know, the temple catch, right? Um, because obviously Rennell Hall had a bunch of long touchdowns uh, from him. So I had a hard time with Bortles. I felt like I wanted to have him in here someplace. I just, I didn't know who the right person was. And I wasn't necessarily married to the stats, right? You can probably look at this and say, oh, you guys just picked out stats and whoever the most catches. And sure, that's an easy way to do it. But I was, I was in my mind, I was okay with saying, hey, if someone had lesser stats but had a much bigger impact on a season, uh, that's why I really considered Gabe Davis, but the, the reality was in 2019 we didn't we didn't win anything. Um, so I, I, you know, looking at the two years that Traquan had, you know, 2017 being one of those seasons, I mean, I couldn't discount that. And if you think about all of Gabe's seasons together, maybe he gets in there. If you let us do combo quarterbacks, maybe Gabe sneaks in here with with his with his stuff. Don't forget, Marlon Williams had a fantastic career, but again, multiple quarterbacks. Um, so I think that's where it got a little bit sticky. Uh, but I was willing to to try to find like a a, a Bortles guy and. Um, you know, Kyle Israel guy and to your point looking at Mike Sims Walker and how do I get him in there? I just, you know, I just couldn't find that right, that right combination fit. Yeah. Bortles, uh, another one, if he comes back for his senior year, remember he had Wharton, he had all those receivers coming back with him. He could have done, put up some huge numbers. Obviously you're going to be the number three pick in the draft. You go, but he would have came back one more time. Imagine another season with him with Wharton and Perriman and Rennell Hall and uh, I, I think Reese even had another year left in him, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. God, no, not Godfrey would have been gone, but all the other guys were there. So <laughs> who knows the numbers he could have put up? And Wharton's right up there in receiving numbers. I think he's like fourth in Division One era for yards and catches. So him and Bortles had that other year together. Who knows the numbers they would have put up? Yeah, I mean, obviously, J.J. was just our number one uh, initial first-name guy in the last big three, so he obviously had a, a fantastic uh, UCF career, as did Blake, but, you know, sometimes you just don't you don't put it all together. But luckily, Mike, our guest uh, this week was a guest we had back in 2018, Sire Burley. Uh, he did put it all together. Him and Dante uh, combined for one of the most lethal receiver duos in UCF history, and uh, we had a chance to catch up with him then. Can't wait for you guys to hear this now. If you haven't heard it, it's fantastic. If you don't know who Sire Burley is, take a quick pause here. Google it. Uh, S-I-A-H-A is how you spell his first name. Uh, Google it. Uh, look at some highlights. Uh, you will uh, You will definitely have your uh have your uh, your thoughts changed and your eyes opened uh but open your ears though next is cyberly who are the sons talking to this week let's find out all right, folks, really excited about our next guest. Uh, if you have been around the UCF program for a while, this name is not going to be unfamiliar to you. But all you young kids out there, you missed this guy play. You missed out on quite a show back uh, back in his time. 
Uh, so this guy played uh, during the uh, re- really the transition as we kind of came into D1. He had two seasons with us. Uh, he had uh, 15 touchdowns, uh, over 150 receptions, and uh, he was a big part of the the fun and gun offense, if you will, back in the day. So we are pleased to welcome in Saya Burley to the show. Saya, how are you? Thanks for joining us tonight. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get started with here. Um, so uh, obviously you were, uh, you're born and raised in uh, Arizona, uh, and I know you, you started out in a community college out there. What made you decide to take the trek all the way across the country and come to UCF? funny you should ask uh it was uh actually uh an article uh, by the school put out called divine intervention about how i got to uh ucf from mesa arizona never heard of back then you know really get any west coast recruits to go to ucf back then so i believe if i wasn't the first i was one of the first guys to come from the west coast so um what happened was i was being recruited i, I, I was a qualifier so I came out after two seasons. Right after the season, I was eligible to come out uh, in the spring. And uh, I was looking for different schools. And my grandfather, actually, he's a pastor. He was in Mount Dora. Um, knew a banker who actually knew the coach at Florida State. I sent some highlight film or two, two game films to, to my grandfather. He gave it to the banker. They sent it to FSU. No bites. And then they said, well, we'll just send it to UCF. And... Uh, you know, Gene, Gene, uh, see, Gene McDowell was the head coach at the time, but Mike Kruzik was the OC, and Mike uh, reached out to me. And uh, I had some visits to some state schools, but no one had a hard offer, and he, he, he offered me, and I was I was ready to go. First thing, you know, Florida, first offer I got, and I even took a visit. I just jumped on it, signed right there. That's awesome. So you hadn't ever even seen the campus then? Yeah, but here's the thing. One of my players, my teammates, was uh, from Maryland, and he had some film of the UCF team playing William & Mary. And when I saw the offense was a five-wide spread, uh, Dante Cooper was the quarterback, who was a sophomore. I was a sophomore. So I saw, man, I could play in this wide-open offense, you know, with four or five receivers. I got a chance to get on the field when they're playing some of the receivers. Uh, so... Um, and then Dante playing with him for two more years it's in Florida. I, I look at the schedule, you know, they Ole Miss, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Nebraska, what opportunity that would be. And it was Division One. So I had family right there in Mount Dora. I mean, yeah, I didn't even take a visit or anything. I just I felt like it was a good fit. Yeah, makes sense. So you came to campus, and this is right when UCF is trans- transitioning from D- into D1. And people, fans now, they don't know, but back then – we didn't have the on-campus stadium. We didn't have the practice bubble that they have now. We don't have the nutrition center. And now they're coming out with a lazy river soon. What do you remember about the facilities back then when you were on campus? Well, yeah, I, I've been back uh, to see it. I mean, I haven't walked everything. I guess I walked great with some, some of the facility and whatnot. I haven't been to the stadium yet, but it was totally different. There's no question. We didn't, we didn't have a stadium, obviously. Uh the Wayne Dench was the weight room, uh, and we practiced outdoors on, on the practice fields. And it was very much, you know, a, a program, you know, trying to continue to build. And, and, and we couldn't compete with the major colleges for sure with facilities like, like we can now. So definitely the growing stages of, of you know, the program. And uh, I, I was just, you know, excited of how well we did on the field. 
and would hope to see UCF grow to what it is today and be a, you know, uh, a well-respected program like, like it is now. And even now we're still fighting for some more respect I think we deserve. So, but definitely has come a long way. It's everything I ever dreamed of, uh, you know, being a part of and seeing it and watching it grow to where it is today. So uh, it, it's definitely, uh, when I was there, it was, it was nowhere near uh, facility-wise where it is now. Yeah, I remember that Wayne Dench uh, weight room you talked about. It's like the size of this garage that I'm sitting in right now. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So what do you, we, just, we worked with what we had, and, and that was it. What are your memories of the of playing in the Citrus Bowl? I know going there as a fan, it was a pretty interesting environment. Um, what do you remember about playing uh, your home games back then in the, uh, in the Citrus Bowl? Oh, I loved it. You know, it was a uh, it was a far you know ride for students to to drive out there. So, for whatever reason, we, we it's a big you know big big dome. So I mean, like we never filled it up. We only pretty much got the lower bowl field, if that. So you know, it, it didn't really have the look of a rocking stadium because it's so big. We we couldn't fill the entire stadium with fans. But uh, the atmosphere was great. Of course, you know, we won every home game that I've ever played in there so those two years so you know it was definitely had some prestige to it and uh we rocked it and and you know i definitely enjoyed playing at home for sure well you mentioned that so as ucf was making its way through the early years of the sort of the d1 football transition you guys had some close games against what now people would consider power five opponents so in 97 you lost old miss by one you lost to nebraska by 14 although you know we were in it at halftime you lost to mississippi state by seven that next year, 98, you lost to Auburn by four. A lot of close calls as we were kind of up and coming. Do any of those games stick out to you the most uh, as games that you think we could have won? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> the game we should have won was the Auburn game. Oh, I mean, all those games, you know, we, we were in, we were winning in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, but the Auburn game literally haunts that whole 90, 98 team, I promise you, that game uh, really haunts us because we were we were sitting at we only had one loss. We were at nine and one, I think it was, or eight and one, nine and one. Yeah, it was like second second to the last game of the season, so we had to be like nine and one or ten and one or something. So uh, obviously we're not a conference, so we literally had to have like a perfect season to be bowl eligible because we were non-conference, we were independent. Uh, so this was the, this was our season in the balance of that game. And it, was the, it was the game before the last game of the season against uh, New Mexico, who we knew we were going we to smash. So this was an SEC school, you know, obviously we had been beaten an SEC school at the time, yeah. So major, major uh, importance in this game. Um, and we had the game, it was 6-3, to three, Fourth quarter, two minutes left, 2.30 maybe. We got the ball in their territory, just marched it down the field. The game is well in control, you know. And it was a first down, I think, or a second down. Uh, we tried to run the ball from the shotgun, and the snap was bad. Hit Dante's foot, rolled off, and they recovered it. And uh, here we are under a minute now. We're only up three in their territory. So, we easily probably would have got on the first, you know, killed the clock. I mean, we had the game won. All we had to do was just not turn the ball over. So, anyhow, the fumble happened, 
We even get them to a fourth and ten in that drive as they're going down that last drive to score. Fourth and ten. Diabre Divine dropped interception on the third down, right through his hands. It was just a crazy, crazy way to let a you know let a game go. And then uh fourth and ten, the quarterback scrambled. Everybody's covered. He scrambles for the first down, fourth and ten. And then I think the next play, we blitz the corner and uh they throw a, a hitch to to Carson Bailey and the safety comes he, and whiffs on the tackle and he goes sixty yards to put him up ten to six. And then we we don't have enough time left to go down and score and and that was the one that got away from us and, and that that killed the season. We ended up going uh nine and two and uh and uh not getting the bowl bit. So we went nine and two and didn't even go to bowl game. So that that was the biggest <laughs> game that really away from us and affected us big time, you know. Man, that was Adam and my freshman year, and that was our first taste of heartbreak as UCF fans. That game killed us, man. As much as it hurt me, I can't imagine how much it hurt you guys. And you, yeah, you relived those plays. I wrote, I put all those plays down, and you nailed every one of them. The divine drop in that interception would have sealed it. The fourth yep. and ten, that snap, that was the fifth turnover of that game for us. Five turnovers, and we're still winning six to three. Right. That's too cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, my question was going to be, do you still have nightmares about that game? Oh, yeah. Well, up until we beat Auburn last year, that was that was the huge, you know, like, you know, I guess weight off my shoulders that we beat Auburn last year. But, you know, before that, it was, yeah, it's nightmares about that game. But I got a little taste, you know, we got a little taste of victory, revenge, from some twenty-something years ago, you know, uh, beating Auburn down down uh, in that bowl game last year. So, you know, yeah, that was that was cool. Did you call up any of the guys from the '98 team and and like pop a beer oh, or something absolutely. together over the phone? Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in fact, uh, I run into them several times. Like even like the guys, uh, you know, the, the last two Fiesta Bowls that we were in was in Arizona. So I'm, I live in Arizona. So. In the off season, so I, I've ran into several guys from the team at the games. <laughs> so, but yeah, that was a, that's a, that was a nightmare. Every time I think about it, could it could have just really reshaped the whole season. You know, we went to bowl game, got to change the history, first bowl game for UCF, and I think we still were were going to be invited to a bowl game that year, but it was out of us in Miami, and you know, it's a business, obviously, and their fans traveled better at that time. So we, we didn't get a bowl game. So being that obviously you're yeah. a, you're a coach now, you're the you're the head coach of the Jacksonville Sharks of the uh, National Arena League. So thinking back on uh, after that Auburn game, understanding how how tough that is, what did Coach Kruzek say to you guys in the locker room after that game? I can't, I can't even remember. I, I was <laughs> we were so distraught. I mean, uh, because really, the year before that we had we had so many returners that year. Um, that year before, we lost all those tough games. Um, the Auburn, I mean, the, the Ole Miss, the, the Mississippi State, South Carolina, you know, like you said, Nebraska. And we came back that next year just, you know, ready to go. And, and we didn't lose any games we were supposed to win that year. We won every game. Uh, we lost to Purdue, uh, which we could talk about how we lost that game. But anyhow, so we hadn't, we hadn't had that feeling for a while that we didn't, you know, we, that we were in games and we couldn't finish them. So, that was just an unexpected blow that just took the air out of us, you know, because uh, we were balling. So uh, I-, I can't even tell you what, what Cruz said, to be honest with you. 
I know we were we were just stunned, just shocked. You know, we, the season was going so well. We we were dominating everybody in every way, and and uh, to let one slip away when we're that close to beating an SEC school for the first time, you know, and we and 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 basically we went through that stuff last year with SEC schools almost beating them, and we had it in our hands, you know, and we let it slip away. So that was tough. Yeah, we should still we still should have gone to that bowl game, Miami. Remember. They had a makeup game at the end of the year against UCLA because it was canceled from a hurricane earlier in the year. Right. So without that right. win, we would have gone to that Hawaii Bowl. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, <laughs> it, it was heartbreaking. I remember all the guys we, we got, you know, when they did the bowl selection, everybody was at the uh, the apartment. We all picked the apartment, Dante and myself and Reggie Dawson, we roomed together. Was, we, we all crowded in there and waited for the bowl selection, and it never came. It was, it was tough. Yeah, and not only that, but there were only half as many bowl games back then as there are now, too. Right, right, exactly. Now you got all kind of bowls now, exactly, exactly. So, but yep, that game really made. I think it really made you know made the difference in the season for sure. Uh, well, under Krucek, the offense was geared up tempo, air raid. You said that's why you wanted to go there. Now Absolutely. that's kind of like the that's like the norm in college football. How did you? How would you describe the system that Krucek ran, and how does it similar to what we see today? You know, uh, we 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 we, did, we had a four or five wide set, and Kuzik was very creative um, with, with with the spread offense. Uh, we didn't do. I mean, I think that we were one of the first teams really spread out like that. I think, but um, today. Uh, I think Oregon kind of, you know, they set the tone with with uh, some of their spread offense uh, after after we did. It really had a high potent offense like that, and everybody kind of ran with that mold. But um, you know, with football things come in phases. You know, uh, the run and shoot offense. You know, I formation. I mean, it just it just comes in phases. So I mean, uh, it's definitely some high powered offenses out there. But when everybody goes to the similar type. You practice against it, and, and people are getting better at defending, you know, the the, the spread offenses and stuff. So it kind of, you know, it's almost like the, the, the team that comes with uh, the new wrinkles first, you know, has success, and everybody jumps on the bandwagon. And and once you're practicing and it's in your offense, and you get better at defending it, and that's kind of how it goes in cycles. But we didn't have what they have this now, like all this zone read stuff. We didn't have that back then. We weren't we weren't doing all the read option and the quarterback run stuff as much um it's really changed the football period because now even the nfl is going to it because all the colleges are doing it so i mean uh that's what football is now it's a lot of zone read and and quarterback you know athletic quarterback play you know that's that's pretty much uh you didn't have think about it you didn't have a lot of Dante Culpeppers back then you know uh athletic uh, quarterbacks so you know the whole mold has changed to just athleticism spread it out zone reads uh RPOs, which is, you know, read pass options. And it's really, you know, just quarterback plays been a lot more athletic and they've been getting a lot more freedom to do different things and make checks and decide to pass or throw. So it's, it's been definitely evolving to a much different game. Well, yeah, you mentioned Dante Culpepper. So, you know, he was a he was a freak of nature at that quarterback position back in the day. How much fun was it to play with a guy like him uh, in that kind of offense? Oh, it's <laughs> – I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest reasons, you know, I went to, you know, 
offense and, and a guy like that that I got to play with two years, you know, heck of a competitor, uh, bought you time to run deep routes. And, uh, and obviously I caught 1,102 years in a row. So, I mean, uh, it was a throw he couldn't make. So, I mean, uh, it was – well, I think we had broke the percentage record, completion record, or I think a junior year maybe or a senior year. But, like, what was it? I don't know. You might have to step. It was like whatever the percentage were, seventy-eight percent or something. We, we we set the record for completion record. So I mean, like, it was pitch and catch out there. I mean, it really was. I mean, there wasn't a, a ball, deep ball, you know, out route. You know, he has a strong arm. Um, you know, I really, I really, I really benefited from it. Yeah. So uh, Dante hasn't been around the program much lately. Do you guys still keep in touch? And uh, are you still still close? Do you guys still talk about your days at UCF? Uh, I I've talked to him this year once on the phone. I really keep up uh, with uh, fellow receiver Mark Nonson, and uh, they, he lives in Florida full time, so he 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 keeps in, uh, up with those guys a little more than I do because I'm on the West Coast. But I, I've talked to him this year um, a little bit. But yeah, everybody gets busy with kids and in life, you know, I'm a head coach and things, so we, we don't we don't keep up as much. But yeah. So based on the success that UCF has had the last two years, has it changed the way people approach you when you when you tell them, "Yeah, I played for UCF once." Does that do they look at you different? Do they say anything differently now? Yeah, I mean, because it's it's we're a lot more known, you know. Back then, you could say UCF, and you know they wouldn't know. I don't, the thing about it is, back then, I don't even think we were known as UCF. We were more known as Central Florida, you know. Right. So we just weren't known, you know, we just weren't because we were just getting D1 and, and things like that. So definitely everybody, you know, obviously with the undefeated and national championship uh, talk and things like that, it's definitely, uh, you know, you could throw the name out now, UCF, and everybody knows about it. So, you know, I mean, I have arguments with my players all the time because I got, you know, kids from, from Florida and, 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 and schools like that. So I'm always arguing about who's the best Florida school. So it's fun. <laughs> well, like I mentioned earlier, now you've, you've uh, transitioned to a, a successful coaching career. You're now the, the head coach of the uh, Jacksonville Sharks uh, National Arena League. Season kicks off early April, and if uh, you want to take it to more info, you can uh, head to the website. That's jacksharks.com. So now that you're a successful coach, uh, and put you uh, put you in the coaching spot for a second, what would Sia Burley, the coach, tell Sia Burley, the player? <laughs> Interesting. Uh, man, you know, I, I really had, you know, some great coaches uh, playing for, like I said, with Kruzik, and, and they really showcased my, my, my abilities very well. Uh, I have no complaints and about my college career especially, um, you know. But I, I can see myself, especially once I became uh, an arena player and at a high level player of the year, I got a little cocky probably. So I, I probably was that guy that, you know, if I was playing for myself, I probably, as, as a coach, would have had to check the ego a little bit <laughs> because, uh, you know, once I got pretty good, um, I know Danny White, uh, Danny White, I, I played for. I know we butted heads uh, one year, but that was just a competitor in both of us, you know. Um, so, you know, I probably over, you know, I think he, I used to overthink things a lot, you know, as far as the reads and, and how to run routes and things. And, and so uh, I probably was just, you know, that guy that just, you have to just, play the game, let the coaches coach and play the game. Once I got to like later in my career, college I didn't say anything, but once I got professional, 
and got smarter and wiser, I started probably trying to do too much, which most veteran players do. You know, because I coach them now, so the veterans, they're always the brain's always thinking ahead and trying to, you know, over scheme and overthink things, and you got to kind of, you know, zone them back into what we're doing, and because they always want to do a little bit more because they're competitive and things like that. So that that was the that was that guy late in my career. I probably would have. You know, had to you know hone me back in to just you know uh, listen to what coaches you know, trying to do and, and save from the scheme of things. Probably that's about it. And we, we should clarify for people who who don't uh, who aren't familiar. So when you said Danny White, you're not talking about our current athletic director. You're talking about the former Cowboys quarterback and uh, and coach in the Arena League for a while. So for everybody who just drove off the road thinking Danny White coached football, uh, it's a it's a <laughs> is that right? It, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. different Danny White. Yeah, Danny White, uh, Cowboys. He coached arena football with Arizona Rattlers and Utah Blaze late in my career for sure. So you've been a coach now at a lot of different levels in arena football, and you've had a lot of success. Is there any part of you that thinks about maybe one day going to college, maybe trying out one of these other professional leagues, or is there something just about arena Absolutely. that you fell in love with? No, I mean, it's, it's tough to break into the college game. I mean, you know, coaching is kind of a who-you-know uh, trust factor. Coaches usually hire guys they trust. Or, and I haven't coached college football. I did coach actually junior college football, but I just haven't been in that circle to be able to get uh, the right connections. And Kruzik's not in college anymore. You know, he's not coaching. Some of the guys that I had connections with aren't really coaching. So it's it's kind of tough to break into it. But yeah, I, I enjoyed arena football and I'm, I'm I'm doing well in it and stuff. But yeah, at some point I'd like to get a shot at the big field for sure. All right, Silas. So we like to do a little fun thing. We end uh, all of our interviews with 10 rapid-fire questions, right? So these could be questions about football, about life, about music, about food. Uh, so you never know what's going to hit you. So uh, you, are you prepared for our, our patented rapid-fire 10 questions? Hit me up. <laughs> Stay right. ready. I don't got to get ready. So there let's go. go. <laughs> Here we go. What is the worst that somebody's ever butchered saying your first name? Siaha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that like telemarketer calling. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Siaha. 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 I get it all. <laughs> all right, what was your go to spot for food around campus when you were there? Ooh, campus. Uh, it could be off campus, it could be, but right around school. Right. Uh, Burger King. <laughs> okay. Dante and I used to go get Burger King and probably split $2 and get us a dollar menu burger or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I used to do the same thing, the two for two Big Macs, when we were there at the same All right. time. So. <laughs> All, right. All right. Speaking of Dante, has he ever thrown a ball so hard that he hurt one of your fingers? Absolutely. First first practice, first day, <laughs> crossing around five yards, he threw it 100 miles an hour. I'm, I'm 10 feet away from him. And it, it went through my hands, bounced off my chest, and went another thirty yards. Probably. <laughs> what, what do you? Did you think about going back to Arizona? <laughs> right. I, I didn't understand why are you throwing it so hard? I'm ten feet away from you. Like he didn't really understand the touch until like his second. I mean, later on in that season, I guess at some point he figured it out. He started putting more touch on it. But man, his arm was so strong. It, he was young. It was just he was just a powerful guy. Okay. What movie that you watch makes you cry every time you watch it? Jeez. Uh, 
I would say one of the first one of the first movies that popped in my head was uh, Simon Birch. That was a sad movie. <laughs> Uh, I missed that one. I gotta check it out. <laughs> you gotta check that. Is that on yeah, Netflix? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you gotta check that one out. It, it's 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 an old school movie, but we saw it. Uh, when I went to the Hula Bowl on the plane, and that was pretty tear jerking. You got a plane full of all stars, and I'm sitting here wiping my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, so you know what movie gets me? You know what gets me every time is uh, Remember the Titans. Oh yeah, yeah, that's another good one. Strong side, weak side. Every time that'll 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 get me choked up. All right, next up for yeah, you. That's... We got a we got a true or false. Ready, true or false? Coach Coach Kruzek wore a shirt one size too small to show off his biceps. True or false? Absolutely true. Absolutely, true. Right, we knew it. Yeah, we knew it. <laughs> did you did, did you guys ever talk? I mean, did you guys ever give him any uh, good natured uh, uh, poking fun at uh, you know kind of his build and uh, and him showing off the the guns at all times? Absolutely. He actually, I think he would like twist the arm and tuck it up on these tighter. Absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah, you would see him doing that on the sideline, just rolling them up a little. Yeah. Who yeah. Who would win in an arm wrestling contest between Coach Cruz and Chuck Norris? I go Cruz. Of course. Easy. Was anybody dumb enough on the team to challenge him to one of those? No, nah, Cruz lives in the weight room now. Yeah, I know. He went in the coach's office. He's in the weight room. <laughs> All right. Anybody who went to UCF during the time that uh, that we were on campus remembers how bad parking was. So, how many parking tickets did you get from parking services while you were on campus? Uh, just a few because I didn't really have a car too much there. Uh, so, I, late my senior year, I think Diabre Divine sold me a Ford Taurus for two hundred dollars and. That sucker didn't last too long either, so I think we have a car. Well, 200 bucks, right? I don't know how far you expect right. to get on it. Right, but yeah, definitely the parking was tough. All right, so you scored six touchdowns, I mean, I'm sorry, 16 touchdowns in your UCF career. Which one stands out to you the most? Uh, well, Probably receiving wise, uh, the Carolina game. I mean, South yeah, South Carolina game. That was was my first start, and uh, we were I think we were down in that game early. But uh, I don't. I didn't even start that game. That was my first like really a lot of playing time game. Um, but I. I so the first time I scored was uh, in that game. I ended up breaking the school record in that game for 231 yards and two touchdowns. And the first touchdown was just – they just they had no respect for – I don't think they had respect for me. They had no safety. So they just blitzed Dante and left us one-on-one on the outside. I just ran a post and, and then uh, came back, I think, the same quarter. And then I took a, a, a screen about 50, another 50 yards. Uh, and that was kind of like the breakout game for my career. That's where everything started, second game. South Carolina. Broke yeah. okay. school record in my first start, pretty much. <laughs> not a bad start, huh? That's not bad, no. All right. All right. Is there a song that you listen to pregame to get you pumped up? Uh, back then? Yeah, when you were playing. And I have no idea. I don't remember in, in college, we had so much going on. I mean, I actually like the game. I mean, I just I like the, the, the song they played on the on the – the stadium when we, we our warm song was Men in Black, 
Will Smith. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I what was our warm-up song? I used to get hyped for that. <laughs> I, I did not see that one coming, but it's a it's a classic. It's a it's a good one. <laughs> but I, I actually once I got like, one of my favorite songs was uh, uh, Fifty Cent. I'm gonna die tonight. That's like one of my one of my fight songs, so to speak. But yeah, back then I, I don't even remember back then. That's a long time ago. But I know the Men in Black song was was big for us. Yeah, the Fifty Cent must have been when you were in the arena league, right? Because that wasn't out. Right. Ninety seven, ninety eight. Right. When we were. Had to be. Nope, nope. I, I don't. I couldn't even tell you what I was listening to back then. All right, so we saved the the hardest one for last, or maybe not the hardest. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll find out here. So this is true false. Ready? You and Dante are the best quarterback wide receiver combo in UCF history. True or false? Hands down, true. There we Hands go. Down. Who's uh who's second? Yeah. Who's who's right behind you guys? Uh. Jeez, who was uh? I think uh, who did Ryan? Who was Ryan's favorite target? Schneider Schneider. with uh, Doug Gabriel. Okay. Oh, and he he also had Marshall was um. Oh, Stephen Moffat. He had Stephen Moffat, right? Yeah. I mean, I know Ryan had a good you know good couple years there. I know Blake had a pretty good trio. Uh, Blake had a good trio with with Perryman, Hall, Wharton, um, Godfrey. Blake had some some guy? weapons. Uh, Blake probably probably Perryman at that point, right? Perryman. Yeah, Brashad Perryman. But you know what? It's hard to find anybody better than Dante and Sai. I mean, that duo. It, when we always go to the games as freshmen, it seemed like every pass was. Caught Burley like 15 yards because <laughs> every once in a while they throw in a Mark Nonson, right? Right. <laughs> we, had good, we had a good connection, man. It was, it was, uh, it was great. I actually caught up with him in Minnesota with the Vikings. I actually signed with them in 2005. I thought I was going to make the team and uh, didn't make it. But yeah, I thought we were going to get back, get back together, almost. Oh, that would have been cool, man. I'm Jeff Allen. Join me each week for unique yet common sense opinions on sports on the Jeff Allen Sports Talk Podcast. We will break down the sports world minus the hot takes with prominent guests and my stable of sports guys. It's sports conversation the way it should be. Search Jeff Allen Sports Talk wherever you get your podcasts or go to JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. There are cows among us. Adam and Mike will tell you who. All right, we'll get to uh, our cows in just a moment. Mike, Cy Burley, again, I know we've talked about it a little bit before the the interview as well. Um, a nice guy, good to catch up with him. It was cool to see, too, by the way, during this past off season. He was uh, He's based in Arizona. He was out training with Trey Nixon, uh, obviously, who uh, just got drafted to the Patriots. So it was good to see a little UCF uh uh, homecoming there, uh, a veteran helping out a young guy um, and doing some training stuff there. Uh, obviously, Saya had a really good career coaching in the Arena Football League as well, um, so made a name for himself after that. But, uh, again, wasn't the the biggest guy in the field, Mike. He was a, a kind of a, a smaller receiver, but uh, when he got into space and Dante found him on a bomb, it feels like that was that was sort of the, the hypo offense before the hypo offense was the hypo offense. It was bombs from Culpepper to Burley. Um, so maybe maybe Hypo was ahead of his time, or maybe Kruzek was ahead of the time. I don't know. But either way, Cyber Burley, fantastic receiver. One of the best to ever do it. I haven't heard that interview since probably when we did it back then. It's been 
what, two years since we recorded that? Yeah, I never wrote uh, the, the dates down on these, but this would have been um, circa probably somewhere in like February, March of 2019, uh, I guess. Yeah, it's been a while. But very good one, very good stories. His recap of the Auburn game. If you want to go onto our YouTube page, I matched it up with the highlights from that game. You see exactly what he's talking about for you younger guys that don't remember that. They didn't have to live through that us blowing that game. But we had that game in the bag. So many things had to go wrong, and they all did for <laughs> us to lose that one. <laughs> but he talked about how you know us beating Auburn in the Peach Bowl a few years ago helped him get over that. So a very cool story. Good to hear from Sia Burley. And good to see him still being involved in football and helping Knights now, like Trey Nixon. So hopefully we'll see a lot more of them out there too. Hopefully we will. What we will see is cow of the week, Mike. Each week we scour the internet, we scour social media, we scour life to find people, places, or things that we think are cow worthy as an homage uh, to our neighbors uh, to the West there. Uh, And uh, Mike, you always lead us off with your cow of the week. So this week shall be no different. Who do you have for cow of the week? Uh, cows a lot of times are cows like we did last week sometimes a cow is a horse this week (laughs) or the horse's trainer Uh, the winner of the Kentucky Derby Medina Spirit wins the Kentucky Derby just last week and now comes out with a positive test for steroids trainer Bob Baffert who is basically the only trainer like if you had told me Namely, horse trainer, that's the only name I could really know, right? Maybe there's another one that I'm not thinking of, but he is the the best horse trainer there is. It seems like his horses are always winning the Kentucky Derby, or at least they're always talking about winning because the, they're always favorites to win the Kentucky Derby. Um, and he, his story was that some guy peed in his horse's trailer, or what is it called? His stall, stall or whatever. Yeah. And the horse, the horse ate the urine or drank it, I guess. And that's what caused the negative test, which now is, I mean, calling into question all his other horses. All that's what it takes. If you get caught cheating once, now we're gonna go back in history and see if you've done how many times this has happened. He's had other horses test positive, right? This is not his first one, so he's now gonna be looked at as like the Barry Bonds of horse racing, where he he's breaking records and his guys always win. But now we gotta put an asterisk next to it. Like, is, is he winning? The right way, or is, is he cheating every week, every year? So he's the cow. Uh, can you blame the horse of actually being the cow? Because the horse doesn't know what he's doing. The horse didn't say inject me with steroids. The horse is not telling him, you know, to do this to him. No. The horse, uh, and I wouldn't he drank think. The, the urine. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't think. And, uh, he probably wouldn't even. You can't even blame him for that. So it's not the horse that's the cow. I guess it's got to be Baffert's that's the cow, and people that work for him that are doing these things to these horses. Um, so that's the cow of the week this week, Bob Baffert and his other, his whole staff, I guess. Yeah. I'm trying to check right now to see if the horse is to blame for this. It doesn't look like it. Um, the steroid was beta methasone, which is an anti-inflammatory drug. Um, again, uh, one of the things he's saying is obviously the, the urine in the stall situation. I'm not sure what that has to do with anything. Um, I, I, yeah, you don't, I don't know what's, uh, if he's disqualified, the next guy, um, I guess, wins the uh, wins the Derby. Um, so that's interesting from a better standpoint. What's going to happen there? Uh, this is Baffert's fifth medical violation, a medication violation, excuse me, since May of 2020. 
I don't know what the other ones were for there, but uh, looks like if uh, um, if Medina's spirit is uh, the appeal is el- is upheld, uh, he she I guess I'm not sure will be disqualified and will not be the uh, will not be the Kentucky Derby winner. How much urine would a horse have to drink or eat? I guess if it's on the hay. For it to affect their blood work so much that it comes up with their positive test for steroids, that's got to be a far-fetched story to believe. And who's just peeing in the stalls like that? <laughs> other than the horses? <laughs> that's a great. That, that's actually the best question you've asked. Who like with the uh, the hay thing? I'm okay with because you heard the expression. I'm hungry as a horse, so I assume they eat a lot of hay. So apparently, if you ate. I guess the better question was how much urine was there to eat? Because I assume that the horse <laughs> ate a bunch of hay. You'd have to think that this was like a, a just a, a, a urine soaked just stall of, of hay around there for this horse to uh, um, to have gotten there. I, and I don't know the how much you're allowed to have, what a common amount is. The horse had 21 picograms. I don't know what, I, what that even means. I'm not sure what the average number is. I'm not sure what the the picogram uh, per urine ratio is. It's 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 all kinds of it's all kinds of funny, man. But if you're one of the guys that's working on this horse, you're training the horse or whatever, you're involved, or you're the owner or whatever, and you're there hanging out, the horse is practicing today, and you got to go to the bathroom. You're not just going to actually go to the bathroom. You're just going to whip it out right there where the horse hangs out and and pee in his stall? I I don't know if I believe that. And then for him to get so much in his system, I mean, you have to piss directly into this horse's mouth, I would think, (laughs) to to have this kind of effect on the testing. So... uh, is this the best story this guy could come up with? I don't know, man. There's definitely something fishy going on with this Bob Baffert character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know if we're supposed to bleep out that part. I think we need to – maybe we need a horse <laughs> that – we need, like, nugget on here to help us understand it. Because here's my other thing. Uh, horses are, are expensive, right? A racehorse costs a couple of million bucks to, to buy and to – to train and to board and all this other stuff, right? I'm thinking if I have like a $3 million investment in the stall and I own this thing, I'm training this thing, and I come walking past and you're in there taking a leak with my horse, I feel like I got a problem. You know what I mean? I feel like that's just not something I would want anyone doing. Like, hey, would you get away? Don't pee near my $3 million horse. I feel like that those are those are grounds for fighting. So I guess we'll see what happens to the appeal. I, I, I think the cow of the week is not so much the fact that maybe he did or didn't do this, right? I mean, I think we're all accustomed to the fact that you know, performance enhancing drugs are a thing. The story is really the cow of the week for me. Just the, come up with something better than that for crying out loud. So tell, tell, you know, use the old Barry Bonds. You know, I didn't know it was in, what was in the syringe kind of situation. You know, blame it on the horse. You know, the horse made me do it. I don't know, but come up with something better than this. Yeah, the cover up is always worse than the crime, right? It seems like. So <laughs> I don't know, man. This is a crazy story. Um, it's crazy to think what's going to happen with all the bets. So if you had bet on the horse that finished second, and you ripped up your tickets, you're screwed, right? There's no I don't way know. To yeah, I have no idea what Vegas or the, the Derby, what anyone's going to do with that. And if you won money, you have to give it back? I don't think you're going to have – good luck tracking people down and getting your money back. That's not happening either. And people are going to – good Samaritans are going to come back and say, here's the money back. That's not happening. Yeah. So well, – and, and then there's the domino effect. So whoever finished in second or third was now in second and that whole – it changes the trifecta. I was gonna say, the, imagine you had two, three. Yeah, you had two, three, four, and you thought you lost. And all of a sudden, now you're the winner. I mean, that's uh, you know, lottery money found, I guess. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back. I actually bet on this race. I usually bet once a year or twice a year. I bet on the Kentucky Derby and I bet on the Super Bowl. I actually haven't bet the Kentucky Derby for the last couple of years, but I did get into it this year and I put a few shekels down. And I lost, but now I don't even remember. I have to go back and see if I actually won. 
We'll check back. We'll, we'll check back with you. Let us keep us updated on uh, if, if Mike's not on the show next week. You know, he he got rich off of um, the uh, the horse urination situation. Mike, uh, my cow of the week uh, is a close to home story for those of us here in the state of Florida. Uh, and news breaking today, Mike, that the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, under new head coach Urban Meyer. Uh, had a, a pretty good draft, number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence. They got Travis Etienne in the later in the first round. They're you know trying to build something a little bit uh, new and exciting in Jacksonville. Obviously, a terrible year in 2020. Uh, you know this is this is their year. Still not projected to be a fantastic team, but maybe the building blocks of of something fantastic, bringing a lot of youth, a lot of young guys in to compete for roster spots and really just you know, start to build this thing from the ground up, which makes today's signing make perfect sense, Mike, because what did, uh, what did Urban and the Jags do? Well, they went out and they inked a new, a new tight end, Mike, a reasonable thing to do. You know, you, you need a tight end to, for blocking purposes, maybe somebody on special teams, a third down safety valve for your young quarterback makes all the sense in the world, Mike, right? Yeah, absolutely. Don't say that to Josh Heupel because oh, yeah, Heupel. it's fair. Heupel's you know right now like who? Um, but what if I told you that this tight end uh, was uh, was one Timothy Tebow, Mike? Uh, he of uh, of obviously University of Florida fame, who went on to try to play quarterback in the NFL, bounced around, didn't make it anywhere, then became an outfielder for the New York Mets. Didn't quite make it uh, out there as well, and now we'll be signing on as a uh, as a tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and potentially with a roster spot to maybe make the team. I guess he's not enough, you know, guaranteed contract. But uh, Tim Tebow, he who has not played in the NFL in I don't know, like five six years, he who has never played tight end at all, as far as we know, your new Jacksonville Jaguars tight end. He's never played tight end, right? We said that. He, uh, I think um, one time Mark Sanchez threw him a pass that went off his helmet. If I saw that highlight correctly, <laughs> and I don't know who to blame for the that, by thing, the way, because you can blame me. You probably either one of those guys. <laughs> the one thing you can say about Tebow is he's gonna he's gonna try hard. He's gonna give it everything he's got. He's gonna be ready to play. He's gonna uh, put his heart into it. If you need one play and you want to give him the hand him the ball. He'll, he'll probably get you a yard or two if you need him. But, I mean, he hasn't played football in, what, eight years now? He, he he did better in baseball than I actually thought he was going to. He lasted longer than I thought he was going to. He's a good athlete. But you're telling me that there's not another tight end out there in the college ranks that is, one, obviously a lot younger, and two, been playing tight end his whole career that the Jaguars could have signed? I get that the relationship that – Urban Meyer has with Tebow. Maybe he feels like he owes him a little bit because he, he kind of made his career there by winning those national championships with him. So, I, I don't know. Maybe it's going to turn out to be a decent story for them. Maybe he'll, he'll make a big play at some point during the season. But long term, I don't know how he's going to do at a tight end. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, the, I think the thing that's, you know, that's head-scratching is you, you, we had uh, – UCF had Michael Klubiali on the Jaguars roster a couple of years back. Uh, didn't make the team. Obviously, I think he had injured. You you can't tell me right now, uh, Coobs wouldn't be a better tight end prospect than Tebow, right? Like that that's the thing. I'm not saying that you know Coobs is uh, you know heading to the Pro Bowl or something next year, but there are, there are any number of tight ends that are out there that either haven't haven't played in a few years, that didn't get a chance out of college, 
that you know could potentially use a roster spot I guess I guess I mean I understand if you want to try to give your boy an opportunity right that's what sometimes what life is about is you know somebody and you get a chance but in this situation if you're taking a chance away from a guy that just feels a little bit weird um and and you, part of you wonders if it's a jersey situation tebow from jacksonville went to high school actually the daughter the daughter my daughter will go to the high school that he went to next year um so he's from the area here um i think he just bought a house here recently in jacksonville um so maybe this is a, an effort to sell uh, number 15 uh, Tebow jerseys, which is interesting because Gardner Minshew, last year's starting quarterback, wears 15. So what's going to happen there? So if it's a jersey ploy, if it's a you know a marketing situation, I get it. You need to drum up you know some excitement, and Tebow will put you know will put butts in seats. He will get cameras on the facilities. Um, but you got to think another another person could have or should have had an opportunity to to maybe try out for this spot. Well, I don't think the Jaguars are going to have a hard time selling jerseys this year. Usually when you sign or you draft the number one quarterback in the draft, Trevor Lawrence, that's going to sell a lot of jerseys. Yeah, I'm sure they will sell a bunch of Tebow jerseys, though. I mean, he is a very popular player in the area. So uh, I guess it's a few extra bucks for them. I, I can't imagine that's the number one reason they brought him in. If they were another – I mean, they were a 1-15 team, but if they were a team with no hope – with not a, without a new coach and the number one quarterback coming in, then you could see it as a big reason. But uh, I, I think it's just a, probably going to be a feel good story for him. And I mean, Tebow, you got to hand it to the guy, man. He puts himself in the right situations. He get he keeps getting these chances. He got to play baseball. He married what is that his girl, uh, his wife, Miss Universe or something? Or I don't know. I mean, the guy's had a pretty decent life, right? He's not doing bad. I mean, Miss Universe. Those are just running around everywhere. Like it's not anyone can do that. Uh, yeah. No. Listen, I, I I don't mean to hate on him and say that he's not a, a decent human being. By all accounts, he seems like a really nice guy. I guess my objection is more so: is he taking the spot of somebody who maybe is more deserving of it? Right. If you want to make it a UCF connection, since that's why you're listening to us again, think of Kubi Ali. Right. Here's a guy who would love to say, "Hey, Coop's got invited to Jack's camp." We'd all be like, "Great. Let's hope he can figure it out. Let's hope he gets a chance." Yada yada yada. yada. Um, so is there a guy not getting that chance now because, you know, Urban's, you know, trying to do Tebow a favor, which, again, he's he's entitled to do. I understand that that's what happens a lot of times in, in business and in life. It's who you know. Um, it just yeah, it just feels like is this really the right thing? And to be fair to Tebow, he's he's not guaranteed a roster spot. He's got to try to make the team as a tight end. Um, so we'll see. But I guarantee if he makes the team as a tight end, Mike, uh, over under number of jump passes we see next year. At least one, <laughs> maybe two. Yeah, three. Uh, look, nobody hates the Gators more than me. I hated Tebow when he was with the Gators, mainly because they kept winning. And it's hard to actually hate him because he's such a good guy. But maybe Urban has him there to cover up. Maybe he plans on signing a couple other murderers to the team or something. And <laughs> wow. he needs this guy on the team to help his image a little bit. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, I just never – I always thought something was fake about him. Yeah. When he was in college, the whole virgin thing, and he just seemed too nice, right? But I guess time has shown that's actually who he is. He's a very nice guy. And I, I, it's actually hard for me to not like him anymore. I just like the conversation that goes on where he walks into the offense of the general manager and says, hey, uh, I think Trent Baalke is a GM. Hey, Trent, uh, hey, look, I'm, I'm going to have to sign a couple of murderers. <laughs> so can we cover <laughs> this up with a Tebow? Yeah, sure, no problem, Urban. Okay, cool, thanks. Like, I just I, That's the conversation I want to have happen with Urban. Just going, hey, I gotta 
I got to sign some murderers. But uh, hopefully, Mike, we um, we killed this show, if, if nothing else. Uh, Saya Burley, <laughs> uh, a big three of, of receiver quarterback duos, charge on, charge off with some headlines. Uh, we, we killed this one, and we'll continue to keep doing that for you guys as much as we can find content. Don't forget Thursdays, the live show will feature Trace Trelko, and who knows what at that point. Maybe foreshadowing UCF Mike will be out and about this week. Uh, Wednesday, charge on event. I don't want to plug uh, too much because you never know what can happen, but obviously there will be some head coaches there. Uh, there will be some athletic directors there, and uh, Mike will have his trusty equipment ready to stand by and talk to anybody who's willing to talk to him. So uh, check in Thursday, maybe a, a foreshadowing, and then maybe next week we'll, we'll have a bunch of new, fresh, fun content for you guys, Mike. That's right. I'm looking forward to Wednesday night. I've gone to a few of these. Last time I got us some good sound. We need some new rejoins for the show, some new sounders, right? Hopefully I can get a couple of those. Yeah, we're hurting. So, And it's going to be fun. I haven't met any of these guys before. Mohadra's the new, Miles On's new. So it'll be interesting to get into their faces and see what they're like up close and personal. So if you're listening to this and you're going to be down at the Fort Lauderdale event, uh, make sure uh, uh, find UCF Mike. I'm sure he'll be bouncing around. Make sure you say hello. Uh, let him let him know you're a big fan of the show, and you know maybe if you're nice to him, he'll promise to send you a hat. Depends how many beers he has at that point. He tends to give away hats just willy nilly, so you never know when you're going to get a hat out of UCF Mike. So uh, if you're down there, stop by, say hello. Uh, but uh, thanks for saying hello and listening to this particular episode. Again, make sure you subscribe, rate, review to this show, follow us on social media stuff at Sons of UCF. Two nightsmedia.com is where one of these days you'll get fresh content from blog posts and all that good jazz. But you can get youtube stuff and all the pods all the live shows everything all in one stop shop mike uh everybody have a fantastic week mike have fun down at the charge on event and uh we will talk at everybody uh one week from tonight everybody uh go nights charge on sports social podcast network judy was boring hello then judy discovered jumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the chumba life is for everybody so go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.